What's up everyone, and welcome to another episode of Our Lives in Medicine. This episode features third-year medical student Muzamil Ahmad. Muzamil is passionate about plant-based lifestyle and educating patients and the general public about its benefits. In this episode, we discuss health as it relates to diet, proactive versus reactionary medicine, and fitness relative to the plant-based diet. We also discuss the differences in healthcare in America versus Canada, and the importance of providing accurate information on health to our patients. Muzamil also hosts the Plant Prescription Podcast, where he interviews professionals on the topics of health and nutrition. This is a fantastic and informative episode, and I hope you enjoy. And if you do, please feel free to share with others. Also, like us on Instagram at Our Lives in Medicine and comment on the things you enjoyed about the episode and things you'd like to hear in other episodes as well. And as always, if you need some good beats to study or get some work done or just catch some good vibes, listen to the intro and outro and check the show notes for the artist shout out. I hope you enjoy and hope you have a great day. with Muzamil Ahmad. What's going on, man? Not much. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, man. Thanks for being a guest. It's uh, nice to have you all the way from Canada. So, or you're, you're in school in Canada, but you're in America right now, right? Yeah. So I go to school in Canada. I live in Canada, but my parents live in Houston. So I'm here for the summer with them. Dude, I love Houston. I, um, I went there for a conference like last year. Couple day, I was like a couple of days, couple of nights. I loved it, man. Beautiful place, nice people. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there's actually a lot more to do here than you would think, and it's prettier than people usually think it is. Dude, the the biggest thing for me was how vast the options for housing were and how cheap they were. I was like, well, this is amazing for how big of a city this is. Oh, absolutely, and you can get much bigger and nicer houses for a lot less than a lot of the other cities, which is nice. You know. When I came, I was, when I was visiting, I was visiting from Fort Lauderdale, which is, you know, better. I moved from Miami to Fort Lauderdale. So I was like, wow, like 15, 1800 a month for an apartment. That's sweet coming from Miami. You know, I can do a lot. Yeah. But then going to Houston, I was like, wow, I could get this same apartment for like a thousand. <laughs> That's like yeah, crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, no, it's definitely a lot cheaper and nicer in that sense for sure. 
And the people were really nice too. I guess that's why your parents are there. So. Yeah, no, people are definitely nice. I think it's just the atmosphere here. It's super chill, um, laid back, southern hospitality. So people are quite nice. You know, you got all those good teams there too. So everyone's probably just happy with all the victories too, I guess. <laughs> that probably so. plays a role in, in nice weather. So yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no reason to be upset at that point. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, are you are you from you go to school in Canada are you from Canada or where are you from exactly so I'm from Canada I'm from Calgary it's a city in the province of Alberta for Americans uh the reference point I always give is it's north of Montana so it's that's where the Rocky Mountains are that's where all the beautiful lakes and uh, hiking trails are and a lot of people know about Banff so that's where Banff is that's pretty cool all right and so let's see where are you in med school in relation to that um, so my med school is three hours north of Calgary. Uh, that's the city of Edmonton, and that's the capital of Alberta. It's a smaller town than Calgary, but there's a lot going on there for a small town, so it's fun time. Got you, got you. What's your favorite part about the town? Um, the area I live in. It's um, it's like a small area, but it's like. Think of it as a university town within a bigger town. So there's like a lot going on in that area. Um, you can never be bored. There's a lot of uh, coffee shops, bars, and concerts taking place, and a lot of festivals in the spring and summertime. So just a lot happening for a small town. Sweet, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, like I'd say at least an eighth of my graduating class was from Canada, and yeah, I mean we had a lot from like Toronto, mostly Toronto, Vancouver okay. area, but. It was just funny because, you know, I I had a couple friends who are Canadian and I would always give them crap about Canada, just, you know, just messing, giving them a hard time. And they're like, dude, you got to stop because all my friends in Canada are giving me crap about now I'm American. I'm not Canadian anymore. So Uh, I can totally I can totally see that because I was um, I was accepted in a few American schools before I was accepted in the Canadian med school. And I was uh, ready to go through the same thing because all my friends were like, oh, you're going to be an American now. And I'm like pretty sure when I'm there, they're going to be like, you're not an American, you're Canadian. So you never really belong yeah. anywhere at that point. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I would give my, my one friend from Toronto, I'd be like, you're gonna. You're over here voting for Rob Ford, and he said his friends are. Uh, his friends in Toronto were like, "Oh, I bet you're gonna vote for Trump now." So it's kind of like, <laughs> I was like, "Man, I feel bad for you, man." Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's good, funny. man. So let's see. You're in Canada. So what is the like the pathway to get into medical school uh, in Canada? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, it's, I would say, for the most part, similar uh, with a small differences. So. Uh, we do the same thing as you guys. We have to do a four-year degree. Um, the difference is that majority of schools now don't require any science prerequisites. So you could literally go do an arts degree as long as you do well on the MCAT. They don't care mm. if you did the prerequisites. If you were able to teach yourself the material, they don't care. So uh, although I did do the science prerequisites, even though I don't have a science background, I did them because I was also applying to the U.S., um, but there's a lot of people in my class who did not do science prerequisites and they got in because they were able to do well on the MCAT just by studying on their own. So that's a big difference, I would say. Wow. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, schools now are also moving away from having GPA as a, a predetermining factor for admissions. What I mean by that is, um they had a lot of the schools are moving away from like you know using that in the calculation process and rather putting a minimum value uh which 
a lot of schools are using as 3.5 GPA. And because they did a huge study and they found, found no correlation between people's GPA and how well they did in med school. So what they're doing now is, um, although when I got admitted, that wasn't a uh, that wasn't the situation. But from now on and uh, and in the future, what they're doing is, if you have a three point five, it does not matter if you have a three point five five or a three point nine. Uh, what matters is that you got the checkbox for the GPA, and then the rest they care about is your MCAT and your extracurriculars, your recommendation letters, and whatnot. So that's a big difference, I would say. Interesting. And it probably, it's a different filtering out process, you know, it's kind of like now you really have to make it on personality, not just merit alone. I feel Absolutely. like there's a lot of people who get in just off merit and it's like, that's great, Absolutely. but yeah, man, they, I they're agree. tough classmates. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then obviously the interview is um, a huge factor for us. So I'm, I think U.S. is the same, but majority of Canadian med schools use MMI as their um, interview pro uh, method. So you usually have like multiple stations and then you go through those and then for each station you get a score um, and then they add all those scores up. So that MMI interview process is quite rigorous and quite important to get in. Um, and that's where a lot of people don't make it through because of they are not used to um, being interviewed like that and the rigorous process it requires. But um, if you are able to get through the interview process, then the chances of you getting in are very highly likely. That's interesting because here, I think schools are transitioning to the MMI, but it's kind of, it's definitely a newer thing. I, I remember on my interview trail for school, I only had one place that did MMIs. Uh, and that was back yeah. in 2014, like 2015. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. I, I liked it a lot because it gives you a yeah. chance to... You know, if, you, if you're kind of cold on the first interview, you warm up and you have plenty more opportunities. It's exactly. not just like if you have two people to talk to and you, you flop on one, you're done. <laughs> so, you're yeah. Done. yeah, it's tough. And the other thing I personally like about the MMI is you can't really rehearse your answers. So they, because uh, a lot of the other interviews tend to be why do you want to be a doctor? And they have like typical questions that you can just come prepared. So they don't get to see your personality come out because I feel... Yeah, with the MMI, they can see how you think because you have to think on the spot. Um, so that's why a lot of the Canadian schools have moved towards MMI. Actually, um, I would say almost all of them now have. Um, I can't think of any school that doesn't use MMI now. It's uh, what I find interesting is is that Canada took certain steps, and America now is seem to be following those steps. Because uh, another a step that Canada took a long time ago was. See how you guys have step one. We have an equivalent of that, but it's a bit different. Um, each school has its own exam that you do at the end of second year. That's kind of similar to step one. Uh, but the difference is that we don't have any marks for it. It's a pass or fail system for that mm. exam. And now I've heard the U.S. is also following that and changing it to a pass or fail step one. Yeah, we, we just made that transition. I think it starts yeah. for the uh, 2020, I think. Yeah, so I, I just find it interesting. I feel like Canada has been a bit ahead, which I'm proud about, because um, I do think, um, like based on the studies they have done, looking at that, I don't think step one score tells you much about what type of doctor you're going to be. Right. I mean, it tells you that you can memorize a lot of stuff, which is impressive. Yeah. But I, and I think it's interesting because level two, 
also does have carry a lot of weight. I think a lot more weight about what you'll be like as a doctor, at least capability wise. But again, there's so much, it's it's such a huge puzzle to what is a good physician. It's not just, you know, can you do well on a test? You have to pass the test. Yes. But you have to have bedside manner. Yes. But you can't just be one and expect to be successful in that field. So Mm -hmm. it's it's Mm -hmm. true. Absolutely. Um, For us, we actually like in Canada now throughout, they have made this where there's no marks anywhere throughout med school not uh it's all pass or fail um throughout including the final board exam that we have at the end of year four Sweet. so yeah it's very different from us in that sense because like i said they did a bunch of studies back in the day and then they found out that those scores were not showing how well this uh this student was going to be as a resident and then attending in the future so they just completely took the grading system out and made it all pass or fail. So now for residency, what they look at, uh, the things they look at are include your recommendation letters. That's a huge one. Um, the comments you get throughout your rotation. So how well you did during your rotations and your extracurriculars during your first two years, as well as the second two years and your research experience. So it's very okay. different from the U.S. in that okay. sense. So like the, the comments of how how did the student perform are actually mm-hmm. really weigh a lot. Cause you know, I, I feel yeah. like here you can get by, even if the comments say he wasn't great, but you know, he did enough, uh, yeah. that would, that would crush you in a, in a grading system where that's, you know, that would mean a lot. So yeah, um, absolutely. So that's you interesting. Really wanna, yeah. You really want to kill it during your rotations cause you do not want to be getting negative comments. Um, cause that can like, you know, positive comments have a lot more weight. So if you have more positive comments and one or two negative comments, like they weigh the positive comments more. But so you want to make sure that you're building good relationships with your uh, re- with the residents and the attending so you can get lots of positive comments on there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. OK, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. That's a completely different system than we have here. But I think that's an awesome system. So, yeah, it used to be very similar to U.S., but I think in the last decade or so, they made a lot of changes um, and they they have been seeing great results. I bet. I bet. I can't see where that wouldn't, you know. So that's awesome, man. That's cool. And you are you just finished second year. You're on break right now. Yeah. So we get four months off after our first year and then we get two months off after our second year before clerkship starts. So I'll be starting clerkship in August. Dude. You said you got four months off. I, we got six. <laughs> we got six six weeks. Six weeks. <laughs> six um, weeks. It depends on the school. Uh, there are two schools in Canada that have a three-year three year med school. So they don't get any breaks. It's just they get like one week off and then they're back to school. And they get one week off in winter break, one week off in, if in summer break, and then they finish the entire med school in three years. And then our school is a four-year program. So they put in a lot of... The material in the first eight months and then they give you four months off and then another uh, nine months of a lot of material and then you finish off so it's that that's dependent more on school our school gives more break but that's also because we have more classes when we don't have breaks uh whereas some schools only give two months break so it's mm. variable hey i guess it's cool to finish in three years but that's like a hell of a three years. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah I did not want to do that. That's interesting. <laughs> I'm happy with four months. I'm like, I'd rather get my time off and do things I'm interested in during that time. And I'm okay spending an extra year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, when we were talking on the phone, you said you spent your four months off pretty productively, right? 
Yeah, it was it was a it was a busy four months. I had a full time job. Um, I was doing research with a pediatric gastroenterology, um, looking at Crohn's disease and the role diet plays. And then I was also doing a full time nutrition certification that was also four months long. So I was doing two full time things at the same time. So it was it was a productive summer, but busy one. So I wasn't just sitting around. Yeah. Not just chilling, playing Fortnite. You were you were getting in, getting yourself yeah. better. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, what made you want to pick the? Um, what made you kind of go out down the route of getting the nutrition certification? So that's a good question. Um, I I guess even before med school, I was always interested in eating healthy, and um, I never personally looked at scientific studies back then before med school. Uh, but I always wanted to eat healthy. So whatever I thought was healthy, I would try to eat. Um, and then during my first year, I think it was just a bit frustrating, the lack of nutrition in the medical curriculum. Um, it was very vague. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie, some things were said that were not even evidence-based. I feel like it kind of perpetuates the problem because doctors are not taught nutrition in med school. So then they are not as well aware of nutritional studies and nutrition in general. So they know as much for the most part as a layman person. So then they come in teaching whatever they feel is right about nutrition and they don't always have evidence backing it up. But then students learning it feel that whatever the doctor said is probably correct because the doctor said it. And that just perpetuates the problem of um, lack of enough nutrition in med, med school as well as the right knowledge that should be taught. Um, so I was just starting to get frustrated that I felt that the nutrition we were being taught was so big. And then during one of the lectures that we had in the cardiology block, one of the cardiologists goes, look at the person and look at the person to your left. You looked at two people. One of them is going to get heart disease because mm. 50% of people get heart disease. And mm. that shattered me. Like, I was just like, what? Like, that is such a dark and pessimistic way of looking at things. Um, I was like, okay, 50% of people are getting heart disease right now, but why aren't you telling us what we can do to reduce that or change that? You're just telling us to accept it, and then you're teaching us all these drugs we can put these people on and all these potential surgeries to open up their hearts and fix things, but you never mention how are we gonna reduce the 50%? to maybe like, I don't know, 20%, 10%, I don't know. Um, yeah. So that was the breaking point for me. I was like, this is not okay. Cause I looked at, I'm like, okay, 50% of North Americans are getting heart disease, but how is it around the world? And when I looked at it, like heart disease is number one killer and in North America, especially. Um, but when I looked at it, it is not a problem in a lot of other countries, especially rural areas in third world countries, those people, are living long lives and yet are not getting heart disease. And I was just like baffled. I was like, this does not make sense. So I started looking at nutrition from a very different standpoint. I started looking at nutritional studies, uh, like actual, uh, lit like actual scientific studies instead of just reading online about it. And, and I realized like that things when that were taught weren't even accurate based on the studies. Secondly, like all the stuff I learned should have been taught to begin with. So that's when I decided, I'm like, I can do this on my own and learn it. Um, but one, you never know if what you're learning is fully accurate as well, because you might just be reading certain 
literature. Um, secondly, I wanted to make sure I also have the accreditation. So if I go try to tell someone about nutrition, they can't be like, oh, you read this, but I read this. Like at least I have the certification to be like, okay, I have nutrition certification. So I have a bit of um, saying what I'm saying. Like, you know, I'm not just making it up. So that's mm -hmm. when I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a nutrition certification to become certified and also just to increase my own knowledge so I can be, live a healthier life and I can also help my patients in the future because I do not want to accept that 50% of people are just going to get heart disease and we can do nothing about it. Right. It, it's such a, it's such a manageable, um, you know, issue. It's, it's not mm -hmm. like the way the doctor presented it was, here's what it is. There's nothing we can do besides manage it or treat it, not cure it or prevent it. Right. So, and you know, when we talked on the phone, I, I've been thinking about a lot about what I said, which was, it's a shame so many people just aren't willing to make the effort. And I, I appreciated your correction of that, which was, uh, you know, it's more of often a lack of education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a huge piece. Thank you for reminding me about that. Um, because a lot of the times doctors, one, are not aware, like I mentioned. Two, they're not willing to discuss that topic because of the assumption they have that patients are not going to make change. And we can't really assume that because, you know, in med school, one huge thing we're taught is autonomy, which uh, requires us to give patients the options, tell them the pros and cons, and let them decide. So how is it that we are okay telling them all the different options when it comes to all these brutal surgeries that are going to require them to be opened up and telling them pros and cons and letting them decide, but we just make the assumption that they might not want to change what's on their plate because it might be too much work for them. Like, who are we as doctors to make that assumption? Maybe, I, there's no data for this, but maybe, let's say, eight out of 10 people don't want to change that. Um, if two of those people are willing to change it, shouldn't we at least try, like, mm -hmm. for those two people? I'm not saying mm -hmm. it will be only 20%, maybe it'll be 80%. Like I said, I don't think there's a study done on that. But the point is, I was willing to change it, and I know a lot of my friends who after I've shared the information with have made huge changes. So how are we to say those patients won't once the information is shared? So I think it's really important that one, that doctors be educated in this topic, and two, that we provide that information, accurate information to the patients and then let them decide, do they wanna go on medications? Do they wanna get a surgery later on? Or do they wanna make changes now? So they don't need that. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that's really important to have an honest conversation with your, with your patient and let them decide. Absolutely. And I don't, I mean, the, the way you said it, I don't see that that would be a waste of time either. You know, I mean, people are so, I think, I think health, you know, particularly through diet has been, is such a stigma because now everyone wants to jump on the, let's get someone to quit smoking bandwagon, but it's hard to get mm -hmm. healthcare people or just people in general on the, let's get people to stop eating like crap bandwagon, you know? And I think both yeah. would just, I think both would change the healthcare system a lot. You know, this whole COVID thing talks about flattening the curve. I mean, we can get smoking and we can get, you know, diet down to a much better, um, uh, standard for people i mean that would flatten the curve in that aspect as well but people aren't as interested in that because that requires a lot more hard work but like right. you said it was not it's definitely it's definitely worth it to try i definitely agree that it's worth it to try and, and i think the other thing is that a lot of people who come into medicine they like to have control and they like to by that they they can prescribe a medication and they can monitor that and or they can or surgeons can cut people open and they have that control 
But when it comes to diet, we're giving the control to our patient, which I think can be frustrating for a lot of doctors because it takes mm-hmm. the control away from them. And that's a good point. They, and that I think is another piece why a lot of doctors don't talk about it is because they rather keep the control in helping the patient become better rather than putting it on them and waiting to see what's going to happen. That's true. Yeah. And it sounds like you're more the opposite. You're willing to, you know, as a practitioner in the future, you'll be willing to kind of give them the shot, you know, give them a chance. And if, if it don't get any better, then we have dozens of medication options with Absolutely. dozens of yeah. side effects, you know. I, so I already, um, I think I mentioned to you on the phone, I already, when I, so we are required to shadow a family doctor around once a month and work with the patients that we take the history and we're very involved in these it's not just shadowing where you just watch you're very involved in this even though it's during pre-clerkship during the first two years um and i have talked to many patients about okay you have high cholesterol do you know that high cholesterol can be reversed there's all these studies and these are the if you were to make these changes you would see things change within your body and they would be like oh i didn't know I, the amount of things I've taught my own family doctor, she has been so surprised and now she's starting to like get on board as well. Uh, but the point is that if I feel like if you tell them, if you tell the patients and if you tell them the right way where you explain them how things work, a lot of them do come around. And I've seen it firsthand where a lot of patients have been like, okay, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to make dietary changes and see what happens. There's nothing to lose here. Some might be stubborn. They'll be like, no, I just want to take a pill. You know, yeah. that's up to them. At least I gave them the information. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I always tell them, I'm like, okay, this is where you're at. This is your baseline. And I like the approach of a ladder where there's different steps they can take. The healthiest that I believe, and we can get into that as well, what the research has to say, the healthiest I believe is eating a whole food plant-based diet. So I'm like, okay, this is the top of the ladder. You want to get there? I can help you. You don't want to get there. Let's talk about the steps. Wherever you're willing to go right now is where I can tell you how to do. And then you'll see some benefits. The higher you go on the ladder, the better results you're going to see. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, why would I want to take two steps when I can just like take a major leap and just go completely? Whereas some people are like, no, that's too much of a step. I'd rather just like, you know, make these small changes right now and then make more changes later on. And I think having that conversation also helps because you're once again giving the patient autonomy to decide how much of a dietary change they're able to make. And then you're letting them know that the more of a change they make, the better results they'll have, even if they're not ready to go fully right now. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, you know, even as a student to say, to patients, you know, here's things we can do, you know, here's the, here's the ultimate goal and here's how we can get there. You can take a step by step or you can just try to jump straight there and either way, I'm here to support you. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Let's see. So I was going to, I was going to ask kind of just what would, you're talking to a patient with uh, high cholesterol, what would be your ideal kind of best diet for them to jump right into? Well, okay, let's, let's take a step back. I had talked about um, heart disease um, and I mentioned how heart disease is literally the number one killer in U.S. and Canada. Mm -hmm. I I know cancers too and some say cancer might have become the first now for uh, but I'm not sure if like it's at least in the top two. 
Um, but and the only diet right now so far that has shown to reverse heart disease is a whole food plant-based diet. Um, what that means is no animal products and no processed uh, foods, um, especially ultra-processed foods. So you're eating from the six categories, whole grains, legumes, which include beans, lentils, chickpeas, tofu, um, edamame, and things like that. And then there is fruits and vegetables, a lot of them, and then nuts and seeds. And that is what a whole food plant-based diet consists of. And that's been shown to reverse heart disease number one killer. There was, uh, there's a lot of studies done on this now, but um, the one of the most original studies was done, I believe, in late 90s by Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, where he literally showed arteries opening up in the coronary angiograms uh, once they change their diet to a whole food plant-based diet. And there have been many more studies done now that have showed that. There, have been, there, there was that Adventist study based in Loma Linda where they compared people eating a whole food plant-based diet versus vegetarians and versus um, uh, omnivores, like people who eat meat and uh, dairy and plant foods. And what they found was people eating an omnivore diet had um, okay, one thing I want to mention about the Adventist study is that the reason I really like that study is because all those people tend to not smoke, not really drink, they're very active. So, mm -hmm. so those things are common. But yet, the omnivore people still had around 50% heart, of heart disease. Mm. Vegetarians, I believe, dropped down to 40%. But the people eating a whole food plant-based diet, um, or, or plant-based diet, not whole food plant-based diet, because some of them were eating vegan meats, um, only had heart disease at 4%. Wow. And the, like the jump is so huge uh, when you just look at that. Um, so going back to your question, so if someone is like, I have high cholesterol, I can, if they're interested in looking at the nutrition studies, I would pull them up and I'll be like, look, these studies have shown that you can reverse your high cholesterol with diet. Take away the foods that raise your cholesterol, your body's going to want to go back to its normal stage that doesn't have high serum cholesterol. So stop eating those foods. Your, our body doesn't just want to like, you know, create high cholesterol for no reason, unless there's like a rare disease, uh, that's not the normal case scenario. So I would, I would tell them to eat a whole food plant-based diet, and if they're not willing to go all the way, then I will find a... I will find a place they're willing to go. So if that is 90% plant-based, 80% plant-based, like whatever they're willing to do, the be the more they're willing to go, the better results they're going to see with their cholesterol levels. Absolutely. And I, I wanted to ask a question too, just to follow up. Can you explain mm -hmm. the difference between a vegetarian diet and a whole food plant-based diet? Okay, so there's a lot. Uh, okay, let's talk about what plant-based is a very broad category. Um, so you shouldn't even be a plant-based diet, you should be plant-based diets. So vegetarian can fall under plant-based diet, vegan can fall under plant-based diet, whole food plant-based diet can fall under plant-based diet, and Mediterranean diet can fall under plant-based diet. Uh, generally, the consensus is plant, it's considered plant-based diet if 85 to 90% or more of your calories are coming from plant foods. Um, so a lot of people don't even know that about Mediterranean diet because a lot of people are like, I eat a Mediterranean diet and I'm like, okay, let's see what you eat. And they're eating a ton of fish and they're consuming a ton of olive oil, even though that's not an animal product. It's like a lot of oil um, mm -hmm. and then a lot of cheese and that falls 
out of the Mediterranean category because by definition, Mediterranean diet is supposed to be a plant-based diet, meaning 85 to 90% of your calories are coming from plant foods and then 10 to 15% can come from fish and uh, cheese and other uh, animal products which a lot of people don't know what uh, don't know what Mediterranean diet really is because they've looked at what the menus at restaurants say Mediterranean diet is and they're like oh yeah I got fish so that's Mediterranean so um, right. so okay. vegetarian is when people are consuming dairy eggs and plant foods no uh, you can say think of it like that no flesh of a dead, a dead animal so they're willing to consume eggs and dairy but no dead animals um, vegan is when they're consuming no animal products, no dairy, no eggs, um, no meat, and they're just sticking to plant foods. But whole food plant-based diet is very different from vegan diet. Vegan diet can include processed foods, can include vegan cookies, vegan chips, vegan ice cream. Whole food plant-based diet is when you're sticking to plant foods that come in whole or that are minimally processed. So they are, so it doesn't include cookies and chips and like that. It includes things that are good for you and they're healthy for you. They're going to help you become better. Um, and another category, like I mentioned, is Mediterranean, which is also very similar to whole food plant based diet with 10 to 15 percent addition of um, animal products. Okay, well, that's a really good clarification because I've, I've probably been misusing whatever, you know, my own, uh, whatever I've been qualifying myself. Because as we talked about um, on the phone, you know, I did the keto diet for like eight or 10 weeks. And it was more just like a challenge. I, I wanted to see if I could do it. And right. I heard Experiment. it was great for, exactly. And I heard it was great for, you know, gaining muscle particularly because all those free ketones, your body can, you know, really grab onto those and lay down new muscle. So I, it, it was successful in that sense, man. I gained like, uh, I can't remember, but I got, I got the heaviest I've ever been, which is like, I was like 187. I'm 5'7". Mm-hmm. I was like 187 lean, was putting up good numbers in the gym, but it was just, it was tough, man. It was the the content of that diet is just hard to maintain and it's just so much fat and so much meat and after i did it for like eight or ten weeks i i, I just I, I couldn't do it anymore man I, I didn't eat meat for about a month after that and i switched to what i was calling plant-based but i think like you uh, definitely a misnomer because i was still eating you know processed highly processed foods so candies things like that i was i was yeah. cheating I won't, I won't lie but uh yeah it's interesting to know the distinction and be able to kind of lay that out for myself of, all right, I want to try to do a whole food plant-based diet. Don't substitute with, you know, a cliff bar, substitute it with, you know, man, uh, um, excuse me, natural snacks, not like a, right. a processed snack. So yeah. Or you can make a granola bar at home. Like, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do at home um, that are healthier and still tasty. Um, Cause you know, these cliff bars, for example, and other granola bars that you, that you buy at stores have a lot of refined sugar which is very inflammatory and it has a lot of adverse health effects, but you can just make something similar by using um, date sugar or just, um, or just blending dates yourself. So date sugar is literally just dried dates made into a powder. So there's nothing added to it, nothing taken out from it. It's a date just in a powder form, unlike refined sugar, which is a specific molecule taken out from food. Date sugar comes with all its minerals, all its vitamins, antioxidants. It's like, the entire date in powder form but you don't have to use that just blend up a date at home and then use that within your granola to make the granola bar and you can replace oil for healthy things like use cashews blend up some cashews like you know cashews are really good for you and or any other nuts or you can use flax seeds put some water in it 
and it is a great great egg replacer or oil replacer. Um, mm. So you can make things at home that are tasty and healthy uh, instead of buying these sugar and oil laden foods that are just convenient but really bad for us. We let's see. So that's a lot of good options. It sounds cool. How do you manage? Because uh, I saw on your page as well, you're obviously in pretty good shape. So how do you manage? You know, the time required for cooking with you know fitness and school as well. Thank you. <laughs> well, I am very passionate about nutrition and health and fitness, so I prioritize it. So when it comes to working out, I these days because I'm off, so I'm okay going to the gym later in the day. But during school, I was going first thing in the morning. And I know a lot of people hate that. I hated it. All it takes is two weeks of you doing it, and then you end up loving it. Um, but I go in the morning because then you have no reason to skip it. Later, later in the day, a lot of things pop up. You might have a quiz the next day, and you're like, oh, I could spend that extra hour studying. Or your friend might be like, want to grab a coffee? And you're like, oh, I could work out or grab a coffee. There's a lot of distractions in the evening. But morning you know you have the rest of the day to study, so you're not worried about that. No one's gonna ask you for a coffee at 6 or 7 a.m. <laughs> um, so it's just like in the morning, you can stick to your schedule. But if you are doing it in the evening, then you have to prioritize it. You have to be like, I'm gonna do this, and anything else that comes up has to be around that. And it doesn't have to be the gym, because I tell that to a lot of my friends, and as well as people who generally ask me about fitness, I'm like, you hate the gym? Cool, don't go to the gym. Like, you know, go play squash, go play tennis, go do whatever you like, go do rock climbing. Do something that requires your body to move, that that gets your heart going. And I think, honest, even though I'm really into bodybuilding, bodybuilding is actually quite unnatural if you think about it. So go do something natural, go out in the nature, and that's probably better for you to begin with. Um, and when it comes to food, uh, meal prepping can go a long way. You don't have to make like all your meals in separate containers. Just make big batches of whatever you make. So mm. if you're going to be like, you know, if I'm going to be baking sweet potatoes, instead of baking one sweet potato for the day, I'll bake like six so they last me the week. Mm. Um, or I don't know, I like to make a lot of curries and stuff. So I'll just make a big batch of uh, chickpea curry, let's say, um, that will just last me for three, four days so I don't have to worry about cooking for a while. Um, so meal prepping can go a long way, especially batch cooking. Um, and honestly prioritizing like why are you doing this that's an important key a lot of people are like I want to work out because I want to look good but honestly that does not last long you have to be doing it for the right reasons I do it because I want to be healthy I feel good when I work out mentally and physically and I don't want to be um, I don't want to be disease laden when I'm like in my 50s so to do it for the right reasons and you're more likely to stick to it than if you do it just for physical appearance mm-hmm yeah, you don't want to be broken down when you get older, not even old, old, yeah. just, you know, middle aged, you know, you see 45 yeah. year olds walk into the clinic and they're struggling to walk, they're shuffling, their backs all not arched. It's like 45 year olds now. Now, now yeah. like when I shadow, I'm seeing 30 year olds coming, uh, coming in, being diagnosed with type two diabetes. They're being diagnosed with high cholesterol. I have a lot of my own friends who have high cholesterol who are in wow. their 30s or late 20s. And, and then <laughs> That's, you know, it's funny I say that because a lot of them will then just blame their genes. They'll be like, oh, oh it's, uh, you know, it's in my genes. My mom had high cholesterol, so I got high cholesterol. But I'm like, yeah, but your mom ate a bad diet and you're also eating a bad diet. Like, have you thought about that? Yeah. Uh, so, 
so yeah um what i'm saying is like you know start getting healthy before you have to do it because then you'll be doing it because you have to it's probably better to do it because you want to and then you can continue that long term yeah it's to get to make a nerdy example it's like when you have like you know pku or you know some sort of you know um, metabolite deficiency and you can't you're lacking an uh, enzyme or lacking a amino acid or whatever it's like you don't just make the excuse of well it's my genetics so i'm just not going to change my diet you completely change your diet you know and just because it's genetics for cholesterol or whatever it may be there's got to be adjustments you can make and make yourself better you'll live a better life you'll have a longer life than you might live to be 80 either way, but at least you'll be living, you know, vicariously or, um, excuse me, vivaciously, you know, mm-hmm. up until you're 80 versus kind of just being alive. I think that's so important. That's, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't want to be broken down my last 10 years of life. I want to be vibrant still. So Absolutely. And it's not even the last 10. Like I'm seeing it last 30 years in a lot of people. And the whole genes thing you mentioned, this is what I like to say to everyone. Everyone's given certain genes. Like, you know, everyone's predisposed to something. But instead of thinking of it as a definitive thing, how we should be thinking is genes are like holding a gun. Like you've been given a gun. Are you going to pull the trigger or are you just going to put the gun on the side? And that's how our genes are. They are, they are predispositions. What we eat and, what, and the life choices we make are, the, are what pull the trigger. So yeah, mm-hmm. you have type 2 diabetes um, genes. Cool. Okay, that sucks. How about you just worry about the fact that what can you do and how to avoid getting it? Because these genes are not definitive. This is not a genetic disease. Like genetic diseases are the ones you can't do anything about. Like, um, well, my brain's not working right now. Sickle cell. Things like, yeah. Yeah, Sickle cell. Things you can't do anything about. But these are predispositional diseases. They're not genetic diseases. You got predisposition and now you can choose to do whatever you want. You can choose to get that disease by eating a certain way. And, or you could avoid that and your genes will get turned off by what you eat, like, you know, through the methylation process. So, so absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like that a lot. So let me ask you, you, uh, let me ask you, so what was your diet like before you kind of made this change? Were you always like this or did you kind of transition into this slowly or what kind of got you onto this path? Uh, that's a good question because it will, I eat very differently. Um, so like you, I have also in the past done keto diet. I actually did it for much longer than you because I was like, this is way before I looked at nutritional studies. So I want to say that it was not based on evidence when I was doing it. It was more of an experimentation that I just stuck to for six months. Um, and I ate a lot of meat. And I think that's why a lot of people do keto. And you might agree with this is because it kind of allows you to eat all the bad foods you were eating anyway. <laughs> right it just allows you to eat more meat it just allows you to eat more cheese it just allows you to eat more eggs like and you're like sweet i can keep eating that but more of it why not <laughs> okay you, you're gonna take away vegetables and fruits from me do it i don't want to eat them anyway yeah and, throw some mayonnaise in there i'm good yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> like you know i'll put extra cream in my coffee yeah. uh, that's what keto is it kind of just you know gets people to do what they were doing anyway just more and then in long term it just causes more disease but people don't think about that um so i was doing that too until i went to my doctor Uh, so before i ever make any dietary changes i always do a blood test with my doctor and i recommend that to anyone if you're gonna make i don't care if you're gonna go whole food plant-based even though that's the healthiest do a blood test so you can track uh, track things and I did that before keto, and then when I did it after, my doctor was like, your cholesterol level has shot up. You're only like 
mid-20s. What's wrong here? Like, you know, and then the doctor had no knowledge about diet. He's like, um, I don't know, like, you know, uh, if you don't control this, you're soon, you're soon going to have to go on meds in your 30s. And I was like, wait, what? Like, that's crazy. Um, like, my LDL cholesterol has gone up, but that's also because I was eating, like, four to six eggs a day and a lot of meat and a lot of cheese, um, which has a lot of saturated fat and dietary cholesterol. We can get into that after. But I was like, okay, I'm not doing this keto thing anymore. I don't even know if I truly like it because uh, you get that bre- the stinky breath and then you get constipation with it. And mm-hmm. I don't think it even ever gave me really good energy like I feel now. Um, so it, it worked for weight or fat loss, and that's why a lot of people do it. But the thing is, we shouldn't be basing things based on short-term gains over long-term losses, right? Um, and that's something I, that's not the way I was thinking back then. I was thinking about short-term gain, which was a, which was fat loss. So. I stopped doing keto right before med school. During med school, I was just eating healthy, quote unquote healthy, because what I was eating then I don't think is healthy. But I was eating um, like an omelet for breakfast. I was eating a chicken breast for lunch with some veggies on the side, one or two fruits for snacks, and then maybe like salmon and uh, sweet potato or something for dinner. And I would say like more than 50% of my calories were coming from animal products. And... I never thought about that ever. I just kept eating. I'm like, I'm eating healthy. This is what they say. Eat your lean meats and get get a lot of protein and eat a bit of your veggies and a bit of your fruit and you're fine. Mm-hmm. And I never thought any further, but I know that I never felt as good as I wanted to. Like I always had constant fatigue, which means a lot of coffee all day long, um, even with like proper sleep. And I had migraines all my life that I had just accepted as part of me. Like everyone else, I was like, oh, it's just genetics, I have migraines. Um, And then I also had eczema and um, I had terrible skin. Um, So I was just like, okay, cool, this is just how things are. But then when when the whole thing happened that I told you, the cardiology lecture and me finding that out, along with my own health, the way I, I didn't feel the way I wanted to, I was like, okay, it's time. I wanna look at nutritional science and see what actually should we be eating. Is what I'm eating even correct? And then when I took a deep dive in it, that's when I found out that what I thought was healthy is not that healthy. Like, I wanna talk about the, I'm not sure if you have heard of the blue zones. Um, The five blue zones are five regions around the world where people on average live 100 or more. So it's the longest living people. Oh. And I was like, okay, what what are these people doing? These are the longest living people. What are they eating? And when I looked at it, they're all eating different versions of plant-based diets. Either it's a 90% plant-based diet or it's a full whole food plant-based diet. And I was like, what? Like, how are they getting their protein? I don't know if you know this. Um, have you heard of Okinawa? Like the Japan? Yes. So it's a yes. region in Japan. It's one of the blue zones. People there live really long, are really healthy. They are not getting heart disease and type 2 diabetes and stuff like that. And yet, only 7% of their calories come from protein. Interesting. And then I'm like, wait, what? Like, you know, (laughs) I'm finding this out. I'm like, all these regions that I'm looking at that live super long, that don't have disease, I'm not eating, you know, a lot of animal products, if any. They're, They're all on like low to medium protein. And they're eating a lot of carbs, carbs, like something I was afraid of, you know, for the longest time, because that's what everyone talks about, like limit your carbs. Um, 
obviously these flu zones they're not eating like you know donuts and stuff like that they're eating healthy carbs they're eating potatoes and whole grains and legumes and uh, fruits and vegetables that's the type of carbs they're eating but a lot of them are eating 70 to 80 percent of their calories from carbs and then when I realized that I'm like this is very interesting and kind of mind-boggling that the longest living people are doing this way and then when I started looking at the you know the studies that have reversed heart disease it happened to be whole food plant-based diet and then I started, I was like okay type 2 diabetes like you know uh, both of my parents are pre-diabetic I want to look at the studies for that and again whole food plant-based diet has been over and over shown to reverse to be able to reverse type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance um, I can get into the details if you're interested later but when I just learned all that, I was like, okay, this is it. Like, there's enough science to show eating a plant-based diet is healthy. And I made that change. And honestly, my like, I have in the past year and almost year and a half, I've gotten one migraine. And that was only because I had eaten a lot of processed foods the week before. And pro that probably played a role. But I have my migraines are gone. My skin is, I would say, from where it was, like 90 to 95% better now. And... I I feel great. I can go out for runs and go to the gym without needing coffee. I just I've seen huge improvements and my doctor is very impressed with my blood tests as well. So my blood markers look good as well. You know that's sweet and I I remember on the phone you said you don't even use coffee. You use, you know, yeah. your diet for energy and I think Absolutely. that's awesome because I I drink coffee but it's not like a thing necessarily for me you know some people are like i just can't function without it yeah. i just i kind of genuinely like the taste if it's good coffee you know or like Switch a good espresso decaf, that's what i've done exactly and like i, I usually i drink it black anyway so yeah it's uh it's not a, it doesn't i don't feel like the energy boost from it and mm -hmm. i i notice too if i'm consistent on it and i don't drink it then i get the headache it's like why would i even exactly. use this then you know so it's interesting like you said man like diet can do so much for you i mean it can improve your energy can improve your mood your health and you know everything in between that might be a lot of ailments might be just from the diet so i, I like that it's a good message absolutely. man strong message thank you absolutely i agree with you and you're you're a prime example of it man healing yourself with that with the diet you know so uh i guess you know kind of using that idea of getting that message out there is that what made you want to start your own podcast Oh yeah. Um, so soon after I became plant-based during my first year of med school, um, I started thinking about the changes I want to make within my med school. And I had a meeting with the associate dean and she was, I was like, okay, these are changes I want to make. I don't know how I want nutrition to be added and this is this. And this was us talking beginning of the summer break right after first year of undergrad, uh, sorry, first year of med school. Um, and I talked to her and she was like, okay, cool. But you know, these changes take a while. Um, what about the following year, the following summer? So this, this particular summer, how about the following year, summer, you do a summer job with me where you try to add nutrition, um, to the block, like evidence-based, I would obviously need to look over everything you do, but if I would be open to adding evidence-based nutrition um, to the medical curriculum. I'm like, okay, cool, but I don't want to wait that long. Like, I can, we can discuss that closer to next summer. That's still 12 months away. I want to know what I can do now. So I was like, okay, what if I start a nutrition club for this year? Because that doesn't have as much bureaucracy I would have to go through. And she's like, absolutely, I support it. So I got funding to start the first uh, nutrition club on our campus. 
uh, and, and not on our campus, at our med school. And it was a plant-based focused nutrition club. And it had a lot of people show up for talks that we had with dietitians and we showed documentary and there were a lot of good things. And, and my, and my friend Cass, who wasn't a friend then, she approached me during one of the lunch talks and she was like, I love what you're doing. I'm, I'm plant-based as well. I'm vegan as well. So I would love to join you and your work. So then she joined and then her and I decided that I, I already wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't want to do it alone. So when she joined, I was like, you want to do a podcast with me? She's like, I would love to. So then we went back to the associate dean. We're like, you know, we want to do this. And then uh, she was like, I support this, do it. So then we got funding for it. We got a grant for it. And then we started a podcast. And now it's been a great success. We have had a lot of amazing guests talk about things like how to reverse diabetes, what type of foods to eat for a long, healthy life. Um, you know, a lot of people have gut problems, like constipation and stuff. We've talked about that. Uh, we we have an episode coming today about um, like mental health and addiction. So yeah, it's been it's been going well so far. That's awesome. And how how was it getting that podcast off the ground? Did you did you kind of just getting like logistically? Like I know for me, it took it took almost a year to get everything set and get my first episode out. How was it getting it off the ground? So it took us some months because obviously you, we, we didn't want to buy anything until we had funding. So you, we had to apply, you know, submit an application for that. The first time we did it, we didn't get as much funding. So that wasn't going to be enough. So we, we said we want this money, but we put in a second application. And the second application, I think we just worked harder on the application. So then we ended up getting a lot of money. So that really helped us. So then we started uh, buying the equipment we needed because uh, we're two people. So we needed two of everything and then we I started um so I have a bit like I have an Instagram account with a bit of followership so that helps so I started approaching a lot of the doctors that I admire that I've seen in documentaries and I've listened to their speeches and talks and I have met them at conferences so I started approaching them and a lot of them were like yeah absolutely I'm glad you're trying to do this uh, we would love to come on your podcast and raise awareness so like you know it was it wasn't easy but i thoroughly enjoyed it because i knew i was doing this for a passion i have and trying to make a difference and now we have a lot of medical students listening to it uh learning how what we know is so little about nutrition and how a lot of them are now messaging me and saying oh wow i did not know about all this about nutrition and how plant-based diet is so healthy and all this how it can reverse type 2 diabetes and heart disease and whatnot so it's been real. it's been going really well that's sweet, man. I like it. I like the samples I heard on your page. I haven't listened to an episode yet, but I'm definitely going to check it out. I mean, that's one of my... Let me know what you think. Absolutely, man. That's one of my, um, you know, it's just one of my... Health is just one of my things I want to pursue in the future. You know, as we discussed, I want to go into sports med and what more, what could be more important in, in, in rehab and recovery and just athletic performance than the importance of nutrition. So I definitely want to check out your, uh, check out your podcast, man. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing that, getting the word out there and people are listening and hopefully learning. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Thank you. Dude, we just knocked out like 50 minutes. Uh, it's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. Loving it so far. You have good All right. Questions. Yeah, man. So I think that was all I had on the, you know, the medical side of you. I was going to ask just a couple non-medical questions of you, see what you're, so the people can know what you're like outside of that, if that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. All right, man. So the first question is, I think we talked about this on the phone. What did you get in trouble for as a kid? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a, that's an interesting question. Um, So 
a lot of people don't know, but I have diagnosed ADHD. So I was a I was a very impulsive kid, and I think my impulsivity got me in trouble growing up. Um, so that yeah, I I didn't always think through things like I do now <laughs> growing up, and that would get me in trouble a lot. Plus, I was quite hyperactive, so I always wanted to do something. And if someone wasn't willing to do it, I'll just go do it, and that would get me in trouble. So, <laughs> right. So yeah, I would say that's what got me in trouble. And I think whoever else has ADHD can probably relate with that with me on that one. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm the same way, diagnosed or undiagnosed. I'm especially as a kid, I was pretty hyper and pretty impulsive. So it's uh, you know, it's tough. But <laughs> at least we're we're older now. We're not making the same mistakes. That's all that matters. Right. You know, we're just making new mistakes. <laughs> Exactly. That's perfect. And we're, if making the same mistakes, that's when you're messing up, you know? Exactly. So, do you play any sports or anything nowadays? Um, I am not really playing any sports besides going to gym and running a lot, but I have gotten into tennis. So okay. that's what I've been doing. I used to play a lot of squash. That was my sport. But then in med school, just got busy. So only played a few times here and there. Um, but this summer, I've been, I've been getting into tennis a little bit more. I'm not familiar. What are the differences in like technique for uh, squash versus tennis? Well, I would say squash requires a lot more um, s- stamina and like sprinting almost than tennis because it just takes much longer for the ball to come to you in tennis than it does in squash. And squash, the other thing is you're in the same space with another person, whereas in tennis you have your own space. Mm. So... So I think you have to be a lot more strategic. I, I could be wrong. Some people might say tennis is more strategic. But just from what I've noticed from my own experience, squash requires a bit more strategy because you want the ball to go in a certain place. But then you also keep, have to keep in mind where you are and where the other person is and how um, you don't want to be there trying to get the ball because then it would be your fault. So it's just like a lot of that where tennis, it's just they're on in their own space. You're in your own space. Um, so And... And the other difference is tennis is more outdoors, whereas squash is more indoors. So if the weather is bad, you can still play squash, but you might not be able to play tennis. So another Mm. for squash. There's a lot more situational awareness, it sounds like, with squash. I I forgot about the fact that they're in there with you. You know, it's all you're in the same space. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Situational (laughs) awareness is probably key. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Um, You know, I got asked this one question on one of my interviews I can't remember if it was for med school or for residency, but I was asked if you were escaping the city, going to a cabin in the apocalypse, and you had like a bag of stuff you could take with you, what would you take with you? Okay, so can I ask follow-up questions or do I just have to answer it? Hit me. Let's get it exactly right. Ask away. I was going to ask, am I alone in this? And and like is this something that I know is going to be for long term or is this like something I know it's I only have a few days to get through this? Let's say you can bring whoever you want with you and it's indefinite. Like, this is it. This is like the apocalypse. This is it. This is the apocalypse. <laughs> and you're going out to a okay. cabin in the woods to survive. Okay. Um, that's a very good question. I'm just trying to think now. Well, obviously, I would want food, right? I would want food that's going to sustain me. And strategically thinking, nuts and seeds have the most calories for the least amount of space. Mm. So I would want a lot of that, not because I love nuts and seeds that much, but honestly, just thinking from a strategic point of view. Um, and 
I would want my friend Alice. I feel like we work really well and she would be good. Like we would just keep each other calm and strategize together. Mm. Um, so if you're listening, Alice, I would want you to come with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good shout out. Good friend points right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think, cause is this a zombie apocalypse? Uh, <laughs> that would be make that would make it different. Um, I'm not sure. You know what? We can go with zombies because I know with mine, I said that I would want I would take like you know some sort of device like rope probably just so I can rig up like an alarm system around the cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, I would want a pretty pretty sharp. I want a butcher knife and also a hunting knife just for you know uh, you know uh, protection, but also hunting. And what was my, I need? I would need a bag of books, though. I would just have to be able to read. I think because you know, there's no Netflix in the apocalypse, so That's I would true. just go. There's no, there's no electricity. Eh? Uh, yeah, there's no. But you're not gonna freeze to death. We'll, we'll say like it's in like a temperate climate where you'll be fine all, all year. <laughs> so because I was, I was going to say I would take my phone, but then that's only on the last day, so that would not really help. Uh, yeah, that's true. I love to read as well, and it's just easier to take a device than to take like 20 books with you. Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> so yes, books for sure to keep myself busy, um, and then honestly, like yeah, all those things that you said, I thought of like knife and everything, and they are very helpful. I was trying to be more unique, but I don't think unique is gonna help me here. I need to just survive. So <laughs> well, the seeds, the the seeds is a pretty seeds and nuts is a pretty good one. I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought about that. That's actually pretty good. Um, and you know, the problem with this whole this question was I got asked this on an actual interview, and I I was oh, like, wow. luckily for me, I think about stupid stuff like this all the time. But I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to use this in the future if I ever do interviews. Like, what would you bring? Because <laughs> I feel like it'll throw people off pretty good. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you want to see how they respond if they say stay calm or if they start freaking out. And <laughs> the fact that out now they're gonna freak out. <laughs> So exactly, yeah, or on the floor. Goodness gracious, even worse, yeah. you know. And the fact that you would bring someone to keep you calm, I think that would be like a, a you crushed it. That's a crush. That's a really good answer. Because right? so. I'm just thinking, like, I would like if I can take one person, why wouldn't I want to take one of my best friends, right? Who is also going to be helpful in this in this situation? Because otherwise, like, I don't know the t- way I think. I'm like, is there a point of living if I'm living a boring, alone life? absolutely yeah like you know like is there a point of me being safe if i'm just going to be doing nothing the entire day staying living in fear so for me it's like more important to have nourishment food um and a friend to accompany me so at least whatever however long i live i'm enjoying it and yeah yeah you know that reminds me what you said have you ever seen the movie the platform on netflix i have oh god doesn't that kind of remind you of like the necessity of like a company and just the the raw just animalistic importance of food and nutrition i agree that movie that that movie was very interesting that movie was very intense i I had very low expectations of it and when i started watching it I, i started realizing like what would i do in that movie like we won't give any spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it but i mean i I, that would be a tough one. Imagine if it's like, okay, serve 30 years in prison or serve four months in the in the pit. It's like, four, four months, you might not make it. It's like, it's crazy. I agree with you. I don't know, man. I don't know if that type of life is worth living. That's, that's my thing. I don't know. Like, is there a point? But you have, if you get on the right level, you have food and you can bring something with you and you have a roommate. So it's like, I don't know. Who you it's may t- or may not like. That's true. That's true. But even arguing can get past the time better, I think, you know? I think I would just, 
I would just avoid being in that situation. Like if, <laughs> if a certain, if, you know, if you kill someone, you end up there, then I would just make sure I don't kill anyone. Like, that's true. That's I think true. I would just not want to end up in that situation to begin with. Although half the people in the movie volunteered. It's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> they, yeah, that never made sense to me. Yeah. But maybe that's, they uh, just didn't know what this entailed. They had to go down there and find for themselves that what, yeah, exactly. what exactly what was wrong with that place. That Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a tri- pretty trippy movie. So I'm glad you've it seen it. That's perfect. Good. The perfect understanding of like importance of food and importance of company. So that's Absolutely, cool, man. Absolutely. I agree with you. <laughs> that's cool, man. So yeah, I mean, let's, uh, I'll ask the uh, four, I ask like every, um, I ask every guest four wrap up questions. So I'll ask you those and we'll get you out of here. I know you had some other stuff going on. So we'll ask those wrap ups and get you out of here. How's that sound? Sounds good to me this week. All right, cool, man. So the first question is, has medical school been what you expected? I like that question. And um, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that I love the fact that I'm learning so much and just getting smarter by the day. Um, truly, like, learning about human has been fascinating, and it's been a great experience. Luckily, a lot, like, you know, I made amazing friends, and... Um, been doing well on the exams and just love being connecting with the patients so in that sense absolutely uh, at some points even surpassed it but then certain things where I wish it taught more about lifestyle changes and nutrition that I've already touched on um, I, I think it needs a bit of improvement there uh, for sure to at least meet my expectations because mine are pretty high when it comes to that as they should be, right? I, I think that's not, yeah. nothing wrong with having high expectations of medical school. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, and then next question is, in your opinion, what are keys to success in medical school? Keys to success. That's a good one, too. Um, I think it's really important to find the right people. Trying to do this alone is going to be a lot harder than making good friends that you can study with even if you're not a group studier uh although i don't group study either i like having friends so if i have questions i can discuss with them and ask them and just having the moral support um it's so key in med school because they are the ones who are going to help you get through it when you're feeling down and when you just need someone to talk to or rant to so that is a huge one and i think the other huge one is finding the right balance um like you can't sacrifice your health you went into med school to help people be healthy. Like it, it's the same thing. Like, you know, you can't put a mask on someone else before you put on yourself first, help yourself. And it's the same, you have to take care of your health first and foremost before you can try to help someone else with their health. Absolutely. You can't take, <laughs> you can't be like lecturing someone on, you know, make sure you take time for yourself, make sure you, you know, meditate mentally, this and that and that, and you're just not doing it. Mm-hmm. So absolutely practice what you preach. I agree. And the third question is kind of along those lines is, you know, you're a medical student now. What would be your advice to, you know, second, first year med students and even those in undergrad trying to get into med school? Okay, that would, I would say do it for the right reasons, first and foremost, because I know a lot of people who are in med school and they aren't happy and now they have to do this and med school is not fun. If you don't want to do it, it's not fun at all it's fun if you're actually passionate um so do it because you want to do it do it for the right reasons don't do it because your mom told you to do it or your dad told you to do it or you think you're going to make a lot of money do it for the right reasons and and do and you know 
And that's and I'm Canadian, so it's a bit different for Americans. But for Canadians, it's really important to do a lot of extracurricular work. Um, and I think it is for Americans too. I'm not sure if it's at the same importance, but for these extracurriculars to build your resume or to build your application, make sure you do the things you truly enjoy. Because if they ask you about it in the interview, they can tell if you did it just to fill a gap or if you did it because you truly enjoyed it and you learned something out of it. So whatever you're going to do, do it because you enjoy it. So your passion exudes in your interview. And and I and I and that same advice for first and second years. Like if you're going to do extra curriculars, make sure you do it because you enjoy it. And and yeah, and just make sure to balance your health and make sure to find the right type of people that are compatible with you, so they can help you and you can help them. Absolutely, that's awesome, man. You know, I ask that question to every single guest I have, and I love that it, I've never had the same answer, and it's awesome. Yeah. So. It's sweet, man. Sweet. So the last question I have, though, is if you woke up tomorrow and you were 10 years old and you had to do everything over again to get to this point today, would you do it all over again? I would make some changes <laughs> because we didn't even get to how I ended up in med school. I had I took a very long winded road. I did a business degree and I was I was in oil and gas in mark in finance and marketing departments for a few years, um, and then I did a master's in psychology that led me to be interested in healthcare and ending up in med school. So, I think I would preach. I mean, I would do what I'm preaching now is exploring myself earlier on because back then I didn't explore myself and what I like and what I didn't like. I was kind of just following the path my parents wanted for me, and much later on I stopped and I was like. I'm not happy. I need to figure out what I want to do. And that's when I quit my job at the oil and gas industry, that uh, the company I was working at, Shell. I quit that job to start from scratch. So I would say that just, you know, I would tell myself, go explore before picking a major. Go figure out what you truly want to do and don't just do it for the, for the reasons such as like your parents want you to do it. Like do it because you truly love whatever you're going to be studying. And if it requires you to take a year off, take that year off. But yeah, take your time, figure it out, and then pursue it. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And I, you know, I forgot to even ask you that question. That's usually on my list. We got so into the you know dietary nutrition topics that I forgot to go back and ask that. What no was it like working in oil and gas? Um, it was very interesting because the. The type of people work that work there, they're great people. It's just their mentality is very different. They're there to help a company make money. And my mindset's never been like that. My mindset's always been like, I want to help people. So I'm very people-oriented, people-focused. And when I was in the marketing department, I remember once my the manager um, of my department was like, what is the core thing for this department? Like, what are we trying to do as marketers? And I was like trying to understand the customer and providing them what they need. And the manager stopped me and she's like, no, <laughs> number one thing we're trying to do is make profit. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, that was very eye opening for me because I realized I did not think like that. And I still don't think like that. Uh, yes, obviously for an oil and gas industry, profit is very important, but it's just not how I think. So that's when I, like soon after I decided, you know, it wasn't the right fit for me. I needed to figure out where I could help people and where I was spending my time knowing that there there was a purpose in my job. And so, you know, it was a great company. It gave me a, a, 
good amount of vacation. I had seven weeks of vacation. I made good money, but I just felt purposeless. So, yeah, that's why I give everyone advice. I'm like, figure out what you're doing for the and do it for the right reasons. Because I didn't follow that in the begin in in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that, that's interesting. Like, it's you know, on paper, it's like, oh, I landed this sweet job with a huge you know company and things like that. Like other people would, in theory, you know, would kill for that job, but yeah. And it might be perfect for them, but just because it's the big Absolutely. name doesn't mean it's the right job. It's just like, you know. Absolutely. Because yeah, no one understood else. it when I wanted to quit. Um, I couldn't <laughs> get it. Because at that time, I wasn't thinking med school. I was just thinking, I need to quit. And then, so no one understood it. Everyone was like, why would you leave Shell? It's like one of the largest companies in the world. You get seven weeks of vacation. No one gets that. And I was just like, I don't know. I'm just not happy. And they, no one really, like, a few of my friends understood. but majority of people did not understand. They were like, you're just un appreciative you're not grateful because mm-hmm. people would kill for that job but i was like okay then that's then it's good i'm leaving because then one of them probably can take my job yeah because um, exactly I, I was doing it yeah i mean you know what you know what is what's the phrase like no one knows best for you except you you know maybe maybe when you're a kid yeah. your parents know best but at a certain point right. you know we know what's best for ourselves and that wasn't the vibe man that was that was tough so i, I understand Absolutely. completely I'm glad you made it out of there and you made it into the right field, man. Think about the people you're going to be able to help down the road as as a physician with your knowledge of nutrition and just kind of your your passion for making a difference. I think you're going to be on the right track and you're going to make a great, great impact in the world, man. That's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Um, I just want to, I just want in case there's anyone listening that is interested in learning more about plant-based nutrition, I just wanted to kind of tell them a few resources they could check out. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, because a lot of the times, then you know, they might just go on Google and then be positive and negative things and just get further confused. Um, there are few books that I really recommend. There's a book called Proteinaholic by Dr. Garth Davis. He's a weight loss surgeon. That book is amazing. Then there's a China study um, by Dr. Campbell, another amazing book. Then there is Mastering Diabetes by Cyrus and Robbie. Cyrus has a PhD in nutritional biochemistry and insulin resistance. And um, and then there was another, and How Not to Die by Dr. Uh, Gregor, Dr. Michael Gregor. These four books are truly amazing, worth reading. And if anyone wants to look at specific studies, then there are a lot of good studies to look at, like Nurses Health Study, Adventist Study, uh, The Blue Zones, and uh, China study, the book I mentioned is based on a 20-year uh, study based in China, so I also recommend that. And, and if you're skeptical, if you can be healthy eating a plant-based diet, just know that the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics in U.S., Dietitians of Canada, World Health Organization, and other major health organizations have all said that not only you can survive on a fully plant-based diet, you can thrive on it, and you can prevent a lot of diseases by eating it. So just go to the source. Don't listen to people who are telling you to eat a low-carb diet, keto diet, high-protein diet. Look at what the healthiest people in the world, the longest-living people are doing. Follow that. Don't follow these uh, nutrition gurus that may not have actual education in it and may not have actually have read nutritional studies. So don't follow them, follow these big organizations, follow these doctors I mentioned who actually try to help people reverse the diseases and prevent disease. So then you can go to the right source and learn the accurate information. Absolutely, man. And, and what was your podcast name again? Give that a quick shout out. 
Oh, thanks. Uh, my podcast is called The Plant Prescription. Uh, please check that out. It's on all major p- platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere. Um, and we have a lot of amazing guests uh, that talk about variety of topics like reversing diabetes, how to eat a healthy diet, um, mental health, brain health, which are very di- two very different things. Um, it, drug abuse, um, addiction, and a lot of other topics. So, yeah. Right on, man. I'm definitely going to give it a listen, and I appreciate you being a guest, man. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. I'd love to have you on down the road, man, after you graduate and you're kicking butt as a practitioner as well. (laughs) For sure. Just hit me up anytime. Thanks. All right, man. Well, thanks so much, brother. I'll talk to you soon. I'll let you know when the episode's out, and we'll go from there. Sounds good, bro. Take care. All right, man. Have a good one. Bye. That was Muzamil Ahmad third year medical student in Canada. Hope everyone enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And to those in the game and those on their way up, keep grinding and don't let anyone take your dream away from you.